This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is the wonderful Laura Polk. She's an anthropologist, writer, and an online pioneer in critiquing and making space for people who are deconstructing purity culture. Her site, No Shame Movement, began in 2013 with the intent to create a platform for people to discuss growing up in conservative Christian environments that were taught abstinence only and unlearning this ideology as adults. In this conversation, we talk about her life, purity culture, the intersection of race and religion, Bible man, and much more. Laura was absolutely fascinating to talk to. You can find info on how to follow her across the web in the show notes. She was also featured in a chapter of Linda K. Klein's recent book, Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free, which is out and available for purchase now everywhere. But before we get into the interview, I want to talk a little bit about something really amazing that I was able to participate in this past weekend. This past weekend, I was able to travel down to Clearwater, Florida to participate in an Exvangelical Community Roundtable with Chris Stroop, Catherine Brightbill, Akiko Ross, David Wheeler, and Julie Ingersoll. This was a really wonderful panel discussion that we had that covered multiple different topics such as Christian Reconstructionism, growing up and um, participating in Southern Baptist churches for 40 years, um, experiences in Christian higher education as both a student and a professor, um, and so much more. It was really, really wonderful to be able to meet these other evangelicals in person and to facilitate a discussion about issues pertinent to our group. Um, it was just extremely edifying and encouraging to meet everyone that was able to come out. And I am super excited uh, that it happened. And I'm very, very enthusiastic about um, making more of these sorts of events available. And in that spirit, I'm also happy to announce that on October 12th in Chicago here, I will be helping to host a uh, live podcast, including the wonderful people from the Unapologetics Tour, which includes Josiah Hessa, Alessandra uh, Goosen, Amanda E.K., and Ryan Connell. Excuse me, Alessandra Ragusen. I apologize if I mispronounced your name, Alessandra. Um, We are going to be having this event at City Lit Books in Chicago at 6.30 p.m. on October 12th. More information will be posted on Facebook and elsewhere. And I really encourage people to come to that event as well. And we're hoping to have another gathering in the evening somewhere in the same neighborhood. More info will be posted online uh, on Facebook and elsewhere. So please keep a lookout for that. Uh, It was, again, absolutely thrilling to participate in this event 
this past weekend, and I will be releasing it as an episode of the show later this month, so be on the lookout for that. As always, you can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. You can follow me on Twitter at brchastain. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at exvangelicalpod. And you can now also buy shirts over at exvangelicalpodcast.com slash shop. All right, everyone, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guest this week is Laura Polk. She is an anthropologist currently living in uh, Virginia and uh, is also known for developing the No Shame Movement website over the last few years. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. Excited to be here. Likewise, um, I've followed you on uh, Twitter for a couple of years now, and just um, you're, you're very... Very solid and interesting follow um, on Twitter, and I'm really happy to learn more a little more about you. Um, one of the things that you know, I, I really just like to start sort of getting to know someone's background. So, um, just to get a little bit of understanding of, of where you're from and everything, um, where did you grow up? What what was your initial sort of exposure to religion uh, early in life? Uh, well, I grew up in Virginia. Um... And then in part of my teen years um, in West Africa as a missionary kid, um, that's a whole long story mm. in itself. But um, yeah, mostly <laughs> Virginia. And I've been <clears throat> part of the church my whole life um, in some form. Um, I, I'd say the, um, the part of my life where um, that was probably, I guess, the most religious um, or the one where I guess I have the best stories from, um, or most disturbing <laughs> stories is, um, I was, uh, taken out of public school after fifth grade. Um, this, no, this was in the eighties, um, when, uh, sex ed was starting to, um, well, actually, I guess be something effective. So that, uh, alarmed my parents. Um, they didn't want me taking that. Mm. So they put me in a, they promptly put me in a Christian school. Um, uh, thus sealing the fact that I would never be the, <laughs> the same kind of Christian as them ever again. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I always tell people to think of, if you, if you've seen the movie saved, yeah. um, yeah, except I didn't get pregnant and I'm black and yeah. But other than that, like <laughs> saved is kind of fairly, I'd say it's fairly, accurate um i was sixth through ninth grade in a southern baptist school mm. in the early 90s um so it was 89 yeah so it's 1990 when i started um it was 89 when i started sixth grade um so 89 through 93 um and this was also when the first time we went to iraq invaded iraq um mm -hmm. operation desert storm um so if anyone knows anything about the Southern Baptists, they're um, super into um, America and the flag <laughs> and being patriotic. Um, so it was a time, it was an interesting time to be there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, also um, kind of in the big, kind of during the start of, or I guess in the middle of the whole true love waits thing, um, contemporary Christian music um, was starting to be a thing where everyone was 
scrambling to be the Christian version of like whatever was popular on the radio. Um, they were trying to counter MTV's message of debauchery and, um, yeah. So that was, I'd say if I look back at like the heart of my experience, um, like in Christianity and around evangelicals, Mm -hmm. um, I've been around them most of my life in some form, but I point to those four years as probably the ones, um, part of what has shaped me a lot, I guess. Yeah. And you were there in like a really sort of formative cultural moments. Like I, I, uh, you know, like you mentioned, like the, the operation desert storm and, um, that sort of happening in 91. And then like the, I don't know, I can, evangelicals are still held, you know, bent on, on the Clintons. (laughs) That's like when they were first ascendant, you know, (laughs) uh, and how they, you know, the sort of moral, moral panic that it sort of (laughs) caused amongst evangelicals and really for some reason still does. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's hard. I, I, I taught, um, I've taught in the past, I've taught, um, undergrad classes and, um, I'm almost 40 years old. And so I'm realizing I have, well, you know, I have a lot of, I remember things that I'm realizing younger folks don't remember. And like those of us who remember um, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, and I remember the outrage, um, right. the outrage of the evangelicals um, and watching those same folks kind of, you know, well, Trump had an affair with a porn star and a um, playboy playmate. Nah. You know, yeah. God and uses everyone. <laughs> God apparently yeah. didn't use Bill Clinton, and he apparently also didn't. God apparently also didn't use Barack Obama, but um, right. But apparently, God uses Donald Trump, and so it's wild to me to see um, a lot of these folks just kind of shrug this off, especially when I know they were the most adamant. Um, staunch, right. you know, staunchly against Bill Clinton, you know, impeach him and run him out of town and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and that I, I'm I've just a few years younger than you, but I mean, I I definitely remember that and um and sort of remembering how like upset like you know at least some one of my parents was <laughs> <laughs> over the whole thing and um uh. Yeah, it, it it really is pretty remarkable that yeah. um that that is just no longer no longer a concern and it's verified by polls all over the place that um evangelicals don't care about the morality of their politicians. Well, anymore. they're using the example of David cuz I've been trying to figure out how to write about this at some point, but um mm-hmm. there was well there was that Washington Post article that just came out um, it was the latest one about evangelicals. What are they up to? Like, like, and it was about, I guess they went to some small town in Alabama and like, like, cause the quote that got shared, cause I think I was one of the ones that shared it was the woman who was saying, well, Jesus meant, um, welcome the illegal strangers and only welcome Americans. <laughs> And, um, right, right. Like, wow, yes. good for her for actually putting it into words. Because I definitely 
been around a lot of folks that thought that, but would never say it out loud. Um, right. And, um, and now those people will be emboldened to just yeah. say it out loud. Oh, I also want to bring up to growing <laughs> up um, in Virginia, I grew up um, near like in the heyday of the, like the moral majority. I didn't really know much about the moral majority when I was a kid, but, um, and also um, with in the heyday of the 700 club and the Christian broadcasting network. Mm, um, I, I grew up watching that mm. with my mom. Um, and I remember when Pat Robertson um, had a little bit more of a sound mind and um, his <laughs> network didn't have to apologize for all the things he said, but like, that's another thing too. Um, you know, there's folks that grew up in different, I guess, variations or communities of evangelical but yeah i kind of i i definitely grew up around um sort of those that of that first that older generation of leaders um and uh liberty university i mean i had i went to school with folks who ended up going there for college and um i also my mom also listened to focus mm. on the family all the time so i also yeah. grew up listening to james dobson yeah um, fun fact, he used to be for abortion um, in the cases of assault or if the mother's life was in danger. I, I will find that quote somewhere, but I do distinctly remember him at one point being for it <laughs> in, certain, in, in certain cases, but just as an aside. Yeah. yeah. So that also, wow. um, you know, in terms of like just the cultural moment, like you said, um, those were also pretty significant, too. Um, and Jimmy Swaggart. I also re remember mm -hmm. him. And I vaguely remember the Bakers. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't have a memory of the Bakers, but I do remember the E True Hollywood story. I watched about them once. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch that. I have not watched that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Um so what um did you did you attend like youth group during that time too? Was was youth group culture the sort of thing that it was in the late nineties when when I sort of arrived in high school and middle school? Um, yeah, yeah, I think they probably by the late nineties maybe had gotten it down more to a science. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm like, yeah, this is the anthropologist talking now. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, I am trying to think of different kinds. Like I went to, um, I went to a youth group, I went to events similar to youth group culture at my school. Um, I should also give a little bit of a timeline. I went to um, like a conservative Mennonite church and then we actually went to a black Pentecostal church um, for part of my middle school and teen years as well. Um, and so I, so I've also, I kind of was in those two or three worlds. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely mm -hmm. went to youth group then too, but they were also doing kind of something, something similar. They're trying to like rap to the kids, you know, and try to be cool and try to make the gospel fun and Jesus is hip. Um, right. So even though, you know, church was definitely very segregated and the, the youth groups I was in were very segregated, but there was still that parallel, like that attempt to make Jesus cool. Um, mm -hmm. And so, 
yeah, Christian rap started be started to be a thing, um, unfortunately. And um, <laughs> although DC Talk, I still listen to them. Um, their lyrics are abhorrent, but um, they really actually made really good music. Honestly, um, I have to give yeah, them that. They made good music. Um, yeah. So actually, so I do listen to them still. <laughs> so. Yeah, hopefully that answered your question. I've kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, it did. Right, um, and that's an interesting sort. Another sort of inter- interesting element that you mentioned too is that you had all these like varying sort of experiences. Mm-hmm. Like you're in the South. Yeah, you're attending a Southern Southern Baptist school. Then you're also attending Black Pentecostal churches, and before that, a Mennonite church. Um, so, like. How many sort of different dynamics? I know. I know. Being an anthropologist now, I'm, I'm sure you may have sort of examined your own sort of life uh, retroactively. But even as a, even when you were a child, like, did you feel the sort of differences between all of those experiences and sort of having to switch between the, your behavior and everything else um, amongst all of those different? Like, yeah, that's a that's a pretty broad array of of different like varieties of Christianity, even in one location. Um, Yeah, I guess to a certain extent I'm trying to like, when I was a kid, I didn't think about it as much. Um, I do remember, I didn't really, I like, I, I, cause I went to a Mennonite school or a Mennonite um, church. um, And then the Southern Baptist school. Um, and then actually we were overseas for two years when I was in high school. When we came back, I went to a Mennonite high school. And I think that's when I, when I went back to the Mennonites, like I remember seeing that, really understanding that difference. Because, um, again, like the, with the Mennonites, they're a peace church. Um, so they believe in pacifism. Um, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, they're very staunchly anti-war and all of that. So that contrast it's interesting because there's apparently there were there were similarities in some of their conservative social beliefs until you got to war in the military and then southern baptists were on one side and mennonites were on the other and i think that's that i kind of noticed right um as for like the black church um again you saw some similarities in some of their um beliefs you know definitely the way they approached um, gender roles and dating and all that stuff. Um, but then, you know, worship style and, um, all the, you know, those kinds of things were different. And also I think in general, um, like I, well, I didn't know there was a word for it until I was an adult code switching. A lot of black folks, I know we, um, especially those of us who grew up in, really white settings or where we're the only one or one of few, um, you know, we, we kind of learn to code switch early on, even if we don't know that's what we're doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, we learn, like I was one, we were one way around black folks. Um, so I knew, you know, at the black church, we knew that someone was going to get up and yell and carry on or speak in tongues or run around the church um, or jump up and down. And I knew at the white churches, um, at least not the ones I went to, the ones I went to, um, we were going to be sitting still. So like, and it was just, yeah. Now I <laughs> yeah. say that because I do know, especially in the South, 
there are a few white churches that do um, kind of carry on and, you know, get the spirit and stuff like that. I've, I feel I've been to maybe one or two. Right. So I do know that that is a thing in the South. I don't know anywhere else, but um, there are some that do. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not unheard of. <laughs> Let's move forward in your story a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you um, you went there from sixth to ninth grade, and this was this really sort of formative period for you. And one of the key reasons was this: like you, your parents did not want you exposed to sex education. Um, was that communicated to you as a kid too? Like this is why you're being pulled out of. It was. I would. School? It was what I overheard folks saying, my parents saying to their friends, um, okay. I'm a youngest child. And the fun thing about being youngest child, um, is, uh, we get really good at eavesdropping and, um, looking like we're not listening. So, you know, I was, <laughs> I was privy to a lot cause you know, I could, I could even hear like, I, you know, I could tell the adults were about to say something I wasn't supposed to hear. Um, and so, yeah, like I've, it was, there are various conversations like that I overheard when they thought I was just quietly playing in the living room. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just, I don't, but I don't remember them exactly like sitting me down and saying. Right. Yeah. This. Yeah. They also, and, um, and I will say this too, they also were kind of concerned about my grades. Um, and I will say this, one of the few positive things, my grades did improve um, somewhat when I went to a Christian school. Cause, um, I think something to do with smaller class sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I got a better education by any means. Um, I definitely did not, but my grades did somewhat improve. Um, but yeah, they, uh, and I also should mention my parents, um, they were, they, they told me about sex when I was about eight and, um, you know, they, my mom just sat me down, basically told me frankly what it was. Um, uh, but they still had really conservative views. Um, and I don't even know what was in the curriculum back then in the late eighties, but apparently it was enough for them to say, well, we don't want her learning that. Mm. So gotcha. even yeah. though I am grateful that they at least had a, a talk with me, um, I still didn't learn very much. What other sort of aspects I like Christian education to me is, is like, uh, it's a, it's a very fascinating sort of thing to talk about because I feel like the overall population, if they haven't sort of experienced what it is, then it's hard to sort of communicate it without just telling someone. And that's sort of the case, whether it's, um, whether it's grade school to sort of grad, like grade school to grad school, really, um, like, cause it's just a different, there's a different dynamic to education. Um, so what was, what was your school like as far as the way they taught things and, and the way, um, what, how was like student behavior sort of controlled and that sort of thing? Cause that also plays a, a big part in Christian education too. Yeah. Um, it was a really small school. Um, we, um, we didn't have I, I didn't have any real science classes I think once I didn't have any real science classes in that I was taught creation of science 
So I didn't learn anything about evolution until I was an adult. So I was kind of in that bubble of, you know, yeah. evolutionists, they call them, like, like it's something people practice or right. something. um but yeah it was uh and also um one thing i learned too from twitter just from following i don't remember if you're uh if you were homeschooled um if you're part of the ex-homeschoolers but a bunch of the folks who were homeschooled um we Mm -hmm. used some of the same um textbooks as they did um so yeah. and like in the homeschooler, like I we I remember we used to actually play a homeschooler a homeschooling team um, too when I was in school and they kicked our asses um, in softball I remember um, but yeah but we used uh, books from Bob Jones University and from Pensacola um, College right yeah uh, and those were very much. Um, not all of our books, but a lot of them, and those were very, those had a Christian theme. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess the, what, uh, the way I can, I best remember it is there's a lot of policing and a lot of hand wringing. Um, like there's just, just lots of policing. Um, we had a dress code. You had to wear, um, girls had to wear skirts to their knees. This was back when that was not in fashion. So shopping was very <laughs> challenging. Um, uh, guys couldn't have their hair long. Again, 90s, that was that was in fashion. Um, they couldn't have they couldn't have any piercings. Um, uh, so yeah, it was very so that's kind of that was kind of our um, you know, like, yeah, just a lot of policing, uh, dancing wasn't allowed, um, in a, in a school, um, like they're, they didn't really have a prom so much as, so anyone who went to a Christian school knows, um, junior, senior banquet, um, knows that well. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Banquets. And, um, <laughs> and the Mennonite school I went to later, yeah. even though it was a bit more progressive, we still didn't, we had a banquet. Um, <laughs> And right. yeah, people still dressed yeah. up, but yeah. Right. You yeah. just had, had a nice um, dinner. Our, our, yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. My, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to mention my, my Christian college had banquets <laughs> because there was no dancing. So, yeah. 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 It's <laughs> a it's thing. It's so like, <laughs> it, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I got a lot of my dancing out of my system later on. Um, cause I went to, a, I actually went to a Christian college, but one that allowed dancing. Um, but I gotta say, I do feel every now and then I feel envious when I see people talk about their proms. Um, sites. So I, oh, I didn't have one of those. Yeah. Um, but also I wanted to say sports. Um, that was also a big thing in terms of a uh, dress code basketball team. Actually, that was pretty standard. Um, Cause that was when, if, if you, I don't know if you remember back in, I think it was the eighties and the early nineties, um, even in the NBA, I think a lot of the basketball shorts were shorter and then they just got longer and then that became the style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. yeah and so our yeah. basketball team, um, had jerseys, um, and shorts, um, our cheerleaders, which I was, I was on the cheerleading squad. Um, we had, uh, squirts which is a skirt that's culottes that was down that went down to our knees. 
that was our uniform along with a mm. sweater. Um, and also again, being a cheerleader with no dancing rule, um, was quite interesting, but we actually were not the most extreme. I remember a school that we used to play another Christian school. Um, nobody could wear shorts. So the guys or, or sleeveless things. So the guys basketball team had to wear, I'm not making this up pants. Um, and, uh, Sleeves with shirt, uh, shirts with sleeves for their basketball uniforms. And did they like? Were they like breakaway and like tearaway pants? Or were they their sweatpants? <laughs> no, they wore them while they played. Oh, oh, like I guess it was made from the same material wow. that regular basketball jerseys are made from. They were basketball uniforms, but they were pants and they had sleeves. I'm wild. <laughs> yeah and then the girls um had to wear cool that was weird because the girls had to wear culottes because they couldn't wear pants so they wore culottes that were below their knees and the cheerleaders wore skirts that went below their knees because apparently knees are very scandalous <laughs> so i remember feeling really bad for them um and their sports teams <laughs> yeah that's that's um that's pretty legalistic and crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, where, where do you sort of go next? And do you, at, at this point when you're still, um, you know, still a kid, still going to middle school, high school, Christian college, you mentioned, um, uh, all this time, how how are you sort of feeling about the whole endeavor, like personally? Are you skeptical of it, or um, do you start to sort of, you know, the the popular term now is like start to deconstruct something? Um, when does that sort of happen for you? Um, well, I feel like I probably was always, if I think about it, was always a little skeptical. I think there was always something in the back of my mind nagging me. Um, that was just like, is this really though? Like, are we, are y'all sure? This seems, this seems off. Um, but actually the biggest catalyst was going overseas. Um, we, um, did uh, mission work actually in Ghana and, um, I was, and that was when I was 15 and 16. And, um, mm. I actually point to that as the biggest, um, the biggest catalyst for change. I didn't realize it then, but that's kind of when it started. Cause I was, you know, kind of torn out of my comfort zone and we went thousands of miles to the other side of the world and, um, around Christians, um, that had, you know, also had staunch beliefs, but were different from the staunch beliefs I was brought up with. Um, and I remember specifically around dating. Um, now this is in the nineties. Um, so I think, uh, you know, Ghana has probably changed, you know, a lot like the U S has changed since then in terms of attitudes. But in the nineties, um, I learned very quickly, Oh, dating is not a Christian thing. Hmm. Um, and like, so as a, as a teenager, you know, I'm there and I'm thinking, wait, Christians don't date because like up until then I was taught, well, no Christians can date, you know, but the right way, you know, like right. no touching or anything like that. 
but you could mm-hmm. date. Um, and we, and, and you know, I remember getting, they would give us dating advice during like youth group and stuff. And so, um, you know, you grow up in the evangelical world, they're very certain, right? It's very, no, we're certain this is what the Bible says. Then I went overseas and they were also certain this is what the Bible said. So at some point I was like, somebody is lying. And <laughs> I, and that, that was a start. I was like, how, how are they both right? Like, um, and you know, just, and there were a lot of other things, just, you know, going through a culture shock and, um, seeing, uh, just a different side of the world. Cause I was in a developing country. Um, and I saw both extreme wealth and extreme poverty, um, and, um, saw, um, a lot of really nice, um, well-meaning, um, white Christians, um, who uh, were, well, essentially quite racist in how they treated local folks. Um, like, so that also kind of shaped um, my understanding of the church, um, especially overseas. And coming back, um, that's kind of, that's actually why I became an anthropologist. I can also point to that, like being overseas, like, um, you know, seeing people trying to do some good in a culture they weren't, they didn't work hard. They weren't really trying to understand and weren't really trying to understand what the needs of the people were. Um, um, so yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, yeah, that was, that was, I guess I could point to that and say that was when I, um, I guess, yeah, it was the slow, I planted the seed and from this plant the seed. And from there, I, I was started changing. I think a lot of it took hold in college. Uh, Cause again, I was mm-hmm. in most kind of a progressive school, progressive schools, I'm in a night school. Um, and, you know, and I was, you know, just surrounded, I was, you know, ex- exposed to different kinds of beliefs and, I think, yeah. And then from there, it was just like each experience from there. Um, uh, I became, you know, I started leaving it behind. It wasn't even like I was consciously saying I'm leaving this behind. It was just like, after a while, I was like, well, maybe this isn't so bad. Or maybe this other thing that I was told I was going to hell for isn't so bad. Um, I lived in, I actually moved to Seattle after college and I lived there for four years. Um, and Seattle, um, you know, is prog- pretty progressive city, um, has a really strong LGBTQ community. Um, so for a small Virginia, you know, a little Virginia girl, um, that was really kind of my first mm-hmm. exposure, like I, um, to lots of LGBTQ f- people, um, saw my first pride parade, um, you know, I worked at a daycare and saw, um, you know, there were gay couples there. Um, and, you know, throughout the time, throughout that time, I think I, I was kind of, I was, I kind of was holding on to conservative beliefs, but kind of by a thread. Um, yeah. And like, and I, I think by the time I came back to the East Coast and particularly by the time I started grad school, I was just like, um, actually specifically about 
people who are LGBTQ, because I definitely was one of those insufferable, like, oh, I'm, you know, let's listen to both sides. Um, I was definitely one of those people um, for a bit, um, Mm -hmm. which is why I I don't rant about them enough on social media. And I I should, because I remember that feeling of, of feeling like I was really doing something profound. And now I know that, that, you know, that's ridiculous. There's no two sides to someone's existence, but the way I ultimately reconciled it was, um, you know, I believed God created us all, um, in God's own image and it didn't reconcile if someone, you know, like, and I, I, I understood just from friends from queer friends sharing their experiences well you know like not choosing to be you know certainly like you know being born that way and I thought well if folks are born a specific way and they're made in God's image why would God create someone um against her own image like that didn't make any sense to me um and so and that's kind of when I kind of when I just let that go it's like I this this isn't reconciled yeah. with the God everyone keeps telling me exists. So Right. Yeah. And I I do think I I totally uh, sort of resonate with, with that experience that, that you mentioned as far as like it being a process. Yeah. As far as sometimes it takes time for you to um be be separate from the beliefs you inherited. And then you, you know, examine them versus seeing someone's life and seeing the value in it. Um, yeah, that I, I think that's one thing that sort of that can be lost, you know, uh, sometimes is is that that it's mm-hmm. it's possible to change. And we're also polarized in a lot of ways um, that it's it's it can be easy to forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and I, I don't know. I I think. And everyone has their own process, you know, everyone has kind of their own, their, their own journey. But I think one thing I always want to remember is, um, you know, be in your, like folks can be in their process, but in the meantime, you know, LGBTQ people are just existing out there and just, you know, (laughs) they're just existing. So go off in your corner and process, but no, no, leave them the hell alone. (laughs) <laughs> they don't right. need to be yeah. right yeah. absolutely yeah i wasn't trying i wasn't trying to negate that especially you know that's oh yeah no no i know no i know that like i think i just i wanted to reiterate because um yeah like i because i i a tiny part of me i can empathize when folks are kind of struggling mm-hmm. but and i'm 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 cis gender uh straight person like i'll sit down and you know and try to explain stuff to them. Um, you know, and just, you know, cause I, I have that patience and also I'm like, I feel like, you know, if I do it, hopefully that frees up someone who's queer who does not have to explain their existence. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's like, I'll sit down and talk with them about it, but it's at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, but you know, they don't owe you uh, an education. Right. They don't owe you any sympathy, um, while you, grapple with this right Um, oh yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and and this and the same way i and i think i see the same as like you know talking with white folks about um 
about racism, you know, mm-hmm. I'm always relieved when a white person steps in and explains racism to another white person. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Right. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of the same, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any Anytime you are entrusted with privilege, you should use it for someone else's benefit. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm totally um I'm in heated agreement with you about that. <laughs> so, at what point do you start to um really tackle these issues um you started you started um a website called the no shame movement actually um, your site actually says you start it really started as a hashtag on twitter yeah um back about five years ago um so within your sort of um your process here from you know going to um all these different life experiences and and all these different things what sort of led you to to want to tackle that in particular uh, on Twitter, you know, processing, talk about processing, like Twitter is basically people processing in public nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> like that's sort of what it is. Um, so what, what, let, what, what made you want to do that? Well, I, I think it just started from organically finding all these people that were like me. Um, mm-hmm. cause like up until then I had met people here and there, um, who grew up conservative Christian like myself. Um, but yeah, like then on like on Twitter, I found like there was all these other folks. And what also what struck me particularly was a lot of folks who had left religion behind completely, um, mm-hmm. but still, you know, they were really still really affected by all of it, which made sense. I had never really thought of it because I've never really left faith behind. Um, I may not always go mm-hmm. to church or things like, but like. You know, I've I've said I've kind of kept my faith, and that's my own personal decision. But yeah. it really struck me like, oh wow, yeah, this even when you leave it behind, which it's understandable a lot of people do, it stays with you. Um, and so just having conversations with that with other folks, other folks that had you know went to youth group and listened to the god to god awful Christian music and um, <laughs> you know all that all that stuff that went along with Christian culture, um, we started, I think that was around the same time where purity culture began to be a term people used. Um, so there was, uh, Lovejoy Feminism was a, um, blogger that mm-hmm. was talking about it. And then, um, then I came across, uh, Diana Anderson, um, and, uh, who had been blogging about it and then, was in the process of writing her book. Um, and I actually messaged, uh, two other people, um, that I had got to know on Twitter and said, Hey, um, I feel like I want to have a tag for folks to just talk about, uh, their experiences. And so we kind of, uh, tossed around a few ideas and, um, came up with that with no shame movement. And so it was a tag first Mm -hmm. and, I was amazed, like it kind of took off. People start using it. And then someone said, Hey, you should make a Twitter page. So I made a Twitter page and then it's like, okay, well, some people may not want 
to share with their photo, you know, with their Avi sitting there or with their name there. So how can I get people to do it anonymous? How can people do it anonymously? So then Tumblr, um, someone gave me the idea to do Tumblr. And then um, finally I registered a domain. And so, yeah, um, that's where it kind of turned into a website. It's been kind of on and off. Um, Day job often gets in the way of, um, <laughs> of the site, but it's really kind of grown organically. Um, cause I, the, and the biggest reason and I should back up the biggest reasons I wanted to do this was the conversation around purity culture, um, was great, but I noticed it was mostly, um, white, um, cisgender, um, heterosexual middle-class college educated women. Um, talking Mm. about it um, with the minivan and the white picket fence and 2.5 kids. And so Mm. like, it was very, very specific and um, I was glad, but so there was that. And then also there are a lot, I will not name names, but there were some prominent evangelical women bloggers that were still kind of on teetering on that middle, like, Oh, um, purity culture is bad, but you should still wait you know, cause God wants you to. And again, it's like, okay, but what about mm-hmm. the rest of us? Um, you know, I had passed 30, those of us who passed age 30 and realized we may not be getting married anytime soon. And, um, maybe that's just not practical. And that was already the case with quite a few of my friends. Um, so, but okay. But some of us, that does, that's just not sustainable anymore. So that was also why I wanted, like we, we did the tag and then the the website because it's like okay I want a voice for other folks and so from there um, yeah like there's like it kind of organically took on all these uh, I guess different branches because we had, had a lot of folks um, write in and share their stories and the biggest I guess the I guess the biggest themes I got from it were um, uh, gender um, played a big part, um, you know, the enforcement of uh, gender roles. Um, a lot of folks mm-hmm. were married, um, particularly you said, you know, I brought all this shame into my marriage um, because it was real, you know, they were, sh- sh- sex was shameful, but then when they got married, that was supposed, they were just supposed to turn that part of their brain off. And a lot of them couldn't, which also was the case right. for a few of my friends offline as well. Um, there, I, and and then particularly a lot of folks who are LGBTQ, um, a lot of their stories, you know, want to like just, you know, compulsory heterosexuality and the premise of purity culture is that, um, hetero marriages only, um, and no other marriages exist. No other relationships exist. Like they're completely erased. Um, right. Then I started hearing mm-hmm. from, you know, like people about body shaming um, and particularly women who are plus size saying, you know, um, you know, we were kind of just automatically, um, I guess, I don't know how, what's the word. Because like, that kind of went into the um, the topic of modesty as well. So there's like purity culture is kind of the umbrella, but then there's modesty culture, which kind of went hand in hand because it's also about body policing and, you know, what clothing is modest, 
there was a tag called modest, an unfortunate tag called modest is hottest that was going around. Um, and, um, I, and, and so there were women who would start writing in and saying, yeah, you know, as a plus size woman, that was never, I would never fit into that because I was considered immodest no matter what. Like if I had, if women had like a D cup chest, mm. like it's like, it didn't matter what I put on. I just, you know, it was boobs and <laughs> I was just immodest no matter what. And so, right. yeah, like those, so all of those things, I get just started branching out from there. Um, and it really became about, you know, just elevating uh, voices that weren't usually heard and particularly, um, I, I don't know. It's like the rest of us, uh, because purity culture, again, and this, the standard of purity, um, wasn't meant for us to begin with. Um, it was, um, and I actually, um, had read this, I guess it was about five or six years, maybe six or seven years ago. Um, I read, uh, when I started reading feminist books, um, and one of the first ones I read was Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman, where she breaks down the concept of, um, femininity and the fact that black women weren't ever supposed to be a part of it to begin with. Um, and so, you know, I kept that in mind when I was, when I was curating the site, because again, it's like, well, yeah, there's a standard that's really only for a small group of women, um, meant to put them on a pedestal. Um, and no one else was really a part of it. Um, LGBTQ people didn't, you know, were erased completely. Women, people who are plus sized didn't fit into it. As a black woman, I didn't fit into it because we've been hypersexualized pretty much since we were brought here um, <laughs> hundreds of years ago. Um, you know, we were never seen as women. We were seen mm -hmm. as objects. Um, so, you know, it, it's one thing to talk against a standard it's another thing when well the standard isn't even for you so but you're still supposed to follow it but it's not for you so like what does that mean and then also i think um yeah. you know branching out and like because i started reading more um like i don't want to say the other side but like um from the pro purity folks and the pro abstinence folks um and i still do i read you know their blogs um and watch some of their youtube videos and what strikes me particularly with black women um is you know i at the at the crux of that i get it you know they're fighting against the same stereotype that i am of hypersexuality um and the, we're only objects or we're only jezebels um and the thing is they take the other extreme um so for them it's like well, we want to be included in this standard. Whereas I'm like, nah, I don't want this. Like the standard is false. Like it's not real. It was invented and I don't want to be a part of it at all. I'm, I'm just thinking even, even the, yeah. the people that it's supposedly meant for, yeah. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit them. Right. Because it doesn't fit like human nature. It's, <laughs> you know, it's not not even not an idealized right. form of human nature. It's just like you said, it's false um, and exclusionary in all these different ways that you've you've said so well. Uh, I mean, that's that that's 
that's such an you know an incredible and laudable service that you've provided through through that um, over all these years of of making making a space for people because I think that's that's one thing that people leaving conservative religion sort of yeah. crave is like just a space to sort of exist <laughs> in 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 different ways and and sexuality is just a, a huge part of that um and yeah. purity culture has just straight up damaged people so <laughs> so yeah that's i mean that that's great that you that you've made it this you know this platform for people to reach out to you and and ask you questions even really practical questions you know just basic sex sexual education in in some ways and other ways I've you know of addressing like yeah just affirming like, like I'm that telling, thing I'm that someone to told folks, you is messed um, up <laughs> saying stuff that I I wish someone had told 20 year old me um you know um and like and I always see mm-hmm. it as like I'm just like I don't know this sounds sinister but planting a seed of doubt or at the very least just getting them to stop and re-examine because um, that's the most important thing. And um, well, actually, when I used to teach, I, um, I taught this class oh, sure. of sophomores and we were talking about cultural norms and um, we were talking about, well, just, you know, mo- the concept of modesty and, um, you know, women being topless versus men being topless in public. And I was like, you know, why is one, like if you if you see someone on TV, why is one censored and the other isn't? And I remember one woman, you know, raising her hand saying, "Well, you know, breasts are for reproductive reasons." Um, it's like, okay, well, what about women who don't have kids? And I could see like she just kind of paused, like, "What?" <laughs> and and um and I left it there because I was like, okay, I don't want to like scare the girl, but mm-hmm. like like that like I felt like okay, I've done my part. Because I, I don't know, is very likely I was the first person that asked that question. <laughs> Not just a her, but many of them in the room. And that was my point. I was like, I just want to ask the question. I want them yeah. to ask themselves. Why is it that we, you know, why was it that Janet Jackson, um, when her boob was shown for a half of a fraction of a second, you know, there was fallout for years. Um, um it's, you know, it's actually why we have five second delays now right. on um, live broadcasts. But the next year, the very next year on the Super Bowl show, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers played. And um, I showed this in my class, too. Um, Anthony Kiedis and Flea, um, lead singer and the guitarist, both took their shirts off. Barely a, and barely. A, I forgot it, you know, and. It was a question I posed, like why, yep. why was why did why was there no outrage? Why did this the network not get fined? Um, and I mean they were topless for a good part of the show, um, so you know that's it's just important. Like I I just want people to mm-hmm. examine what they believe um, and understand why they believe it. Um, and I, it's fun because I've gotten um, all kinds of, I've gotten a lot of support. I've definitely gotten a lot of um, upset people. <laughs> um, 
and not as much lately, but that's also, it hasn't been active lately, but <laughs> definitely gotten a lot of folks, uh, particularly said, I'm trying to shame vir- uh, virgins. It's like, well, virginity isn't a thing. It's invented and it's heteronormative, but, um, or I'm trying to shame abstinence or I want everyone to be a slut. Um, uh, that's my favorite. I w- I'm encouraging everyone to be a slut or to be promiscuous. Um, cause there's no in between. It's either or, and um, and also, and just don't get me wrong. I don't believe in the concept <laughs> of promiscuity. I think a slut, a slut is um, right. a woman whose um, uh, decisions about sexuality um, don't meet other people's approval. Uh, and so, but yeah, um, my favorite one I think was oh, I was who's a promoting um, uh, Satan. <laughs> that was my favorite. The promoting Satan. Um, and destroying values. I was also destroying values. And, um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because it it makes sense. I think that gets people, um, it's, I don't know. I think it's a, it's an incredibly personal thing. Like when people, it's funny because when I get backlash, it, it's like really personal, like people are personally hurt and I get it. It's something you've internalized for so long. and like this person's coming along and saying there's like, there's another option or there's, or like telling you you're wrong in your eyes. Um, yeah, I, I can see why I think. And I think even when I was confronted, when I was in my early twenties, I think I reacted similarly. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Um, so yeah. And like, I get it. It's, it's hard to leave behind these kinds of beliefs. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back to that process. I mean, it's really hard to shed something like that just individually. And it's not something that happens all at once. Yes. And I have to remind myself that, um, too. Um, I, I, I have, yeah, like I definitely have to remind myself, um, like, you know, everyone, you know, everyone's kind of going through that process. Um, but this, but at the same time, and and I coming out of it, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, everyone, you want everyone to do what you want them to do. It's like, no, I want everyone to understand why they're doing X, Y, and Z. Like there are people that go through this and come out on the other side and say, you know what, I like. There's some people that have written to me and said, well, I'm still planning to wait till marriage, um, but I now know it's not mandatory. Like I, I don't have to. I just choose to. Well, there's other people that say, oh, well, I choose to abstain and for now, and that's okay. Um, the point is, is that they don't feel like they have to make the decision. They make it for themselves. Um, and that's kind of at the mm-hmm. core of, and that's kind of what's at odds with evangelicalism too, um, is this this notion of autonomy. Right. And Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's completely foreign to evangelicalism. Everything's prescribed. It's scary. <laughs> it's 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 incredibly scary because, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they try to paint it as, oh, you just want to do whatever you want, no consequences. And it's like, well, first of, all, I mean, I, it's funny when I hear that now because first of all, well, you y'all voted a guy in to the White House does that, <laughs> but sure, okay, but um, <laughs> but even before, it's like you just 
they take it to an extreme and it's like you, you have to do that in order to make it sound sinister. And it's not actually, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, it, it really isn't. Um, and right. You know, for all of, for all of their, for all of their talk about, um, like you said, like as a, as a prescribed thing, but at the same time, I do remember also at the core of, uh, you know, God creating the, the earth when I was in Sunday school, God wanted us to have free will. And so again, like, so which is it we have, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so what does free will mean then if it's, you know, if it still means we have to follow these arbitrary rules and then who sets the rules. And I, and again, I go back to, you know, living overseas during my formative years. Um, the biggest thing it helped me understand was there's no, like everyone, there's no one person that has all the answers or is living the right way. Because when you go overseas and you, mm-hmm. you know, like I went to a country where I learned it was, um, you know, it was rude to um, like when I see a friend on the street, it was rude to just wave and keep going. Um, that was extremely offensive. And, um, I had to learn to stop and talk to people, you know, like, you know, just different things like that. It was just when you learn a completely different way Mm -hmm. to live and after a while that seeps into your faith, it's like, oh, okay, well, if there's more than one way to be polite, then how does this, yeah, like how does this (laughs) apply to Christianity, I guess? Um, Right. So, yeah, it's like I mean, it's been it's been great. I hope to do more with it. I think the biggest thing with the site is um I really um want to I want to see more people. I want to see more sites like it. Um, I um I'm a big believer in staying in my lane, and so when I post when I write stuff um or when I give a perspective, I am giving perspective of a black cis het woman um with a graduate degree um who is a size eight you know um i have well i'm physically i'm visibly able-bodied but i i do have a disability i have attention deficit but um you know i have mobile i don't have mobility issues you know all of that stuff like that's my lens and so um right Mm-hmm. I I cannot I cannot give the experience of someone who uses a wheelchair and talks about sexuality, um, but I can find right. other folks who do talk about that yeah. um, and elevate them. But I know there's always going to be a million things that I don't see because it's not my lived experience. So what I really really hope to see is just more people mm-hmm. starting their own sites um, who have a different lens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That I, yeah. Again, I'm, <laughs> you're going to find me in heated agreement with that. Cause I, I do think that that's, that's one thing that, that makes, uh, you know, I don't, some people called, have called the internet like a level playing field. And I don't know whether that's true anymore because, you know, people start to gravitate towards particular, like personalities or different platforms, but it does yeah. allow anyone to 
publish something. Um, so anytime there's a project, you know, that's that's worth highlighting, I, it's always, always, always good to do that. got a newsletter that you've published from time to time that's more geared towards like evangelicalism and politics and sort of understanding um why why (laughs) yeah yeah understanding why um about evangelicals and about the way they think and how important that is for the for basically the overall population to understand in this historical moment so um, is that part of some of the things that you've that you've looked at, uh, or or view from an anthropological lens, or is it a combination of that as well as your lived experience? Definitely a bill of the second. Um, and actually, you know, it's interesting because when I started grad school, um, you know, and that was right where I really just fully transform into, um, you know, a, a secular. Um, liberal or what's the what's the buzz term they call folks right but yeah one of those um <laughs> i don't know libs own then you're one of the libs that needs yeah, to be owned yeah. owning the libs that's all i know <laughs> but um you know and the thing about anthropology it's all you know it's all about cultural relativism um and i was compelled by my experience of um you know being overseas as a missionary kid um, and I was kind of still kind of figuring out what I, how I wanted to approach this, but what was interesting, um, in my cohort, um, I was one of two, I, uh, practicing religious people. Um, there's one other woman there mm-hmm. who was Catholic. Um, there is another woman who grew up, um, conservative evangelical, um, and kind of left religion behind and everyone else was just kind of either atheist or agnostic, um, or just kind of spiritual or, you know, what's the other spiritual, not religious. But, um, I found that, um, you know, when we would talk, like I, my folks in my cohort would ask questions, um, about Christian stuff. And I realized I was almost like being a broke, a cultural broker in explaining things like, um, Jesus camp. I don't know if you remember that, Mm -hmm documentary that came out while I was in grad school yeah. and mm-hmm. I, you know, and I watched mm-hmm. it and I was like, Oh yeah. Like I, um, I didn't grow up in that specific world, but I grew up adjacent to it. My mom actually has some beliefs adjacent to some of that, um, about spiritual warfare and all that stuff. So I was like, Oh yeah. You know, like when they had the kids speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. um, I actually at the black Pentecostal church, um, I think I was in sixth grade. Maybe I was, maybe, yeah, maybe I was younger. Um, I remember being in Sunday school and them having us have the kids speak in tongues. Like we understood what the hell that meant. Um, 
But so like I remember my (laughs) folks in my cohort going, what the hell? What is happening? What is this? These people are crazy. It's like, oh, yeah, no. And I I explained it to him. Um, One of my friends came across uh, um, the site for I don't know if you remember Battle Cry, um, that revival. Uh, Um, Oh, I don't know if they do it anymore, but it's one of those like um, Christian revival um I guess things that they have, but it's like geared for young people. Um and there's a lot of lights and music and all that. And like my friends looking at me like, oh my god, Laura, what is this? What is this battle cry? What is this about swords? And so I had to explain to her, oh no, no, it's okay. They're not actually going to war. That's actually from the Bible. <laughs> um, you know, like, like the swords what was the fruits of the spirit, like the sword of the yeah. Helmet of salvation. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's a metaphor. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put on the, yeah, I worked at, <laughs> I worked at a Christian bookstore when Bible man was a thing. So <laughs> Bible what? Bible man. He was a, like a, Oh, Bible man. I kind of vaguely remember Bible man. <laughs> he had like, he was like purple and yellow and like, oh, goodness. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was thinking. Yeah, uh, I need to go back and watch because I think I wonder if that was a little bit beyond, but after my generation, because um, my generation was salty and um, the singing song book was creepy as hell. And um, yeah, the yeah, my wife watched a lot of yeah. salty. Yeah, um, I... <laughs> yeah, salty was creepy. Um, and Adventures yeah. in Odyssey. Um, Oh yeah, that that one had a lot of play at my yeah. Sunday school. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but I but I just realized um, like oh, I kind of know a lot about this, and slowly like I it, you know, American Christianity specifically became kind of my focus in um in my research, and and I realized oh, like I I'm interested in this, I'm looking at the, at this from a, as a former in, you know as a former insider um and you know this is you know this is really important i actually got to be and i actually got to be a part of a um research project um i started in grad school and continued a little after um we were looking at faith based organizations and um i was assigned to uh research to um evangelical organizations one of which was a crisis pregnancy center. Um, and if you've heard any of the news around those, you know, crisis pregnancy centers are basically, like they're basically trying to dissuade women, um, not just, you know, they're trying to dissuade them from having abortions, um, but also just, you know, they're also trying to convert them, um, trying to, you know, make them... right. Um, live a specific, you know, a specific way, actually um, them a specific way. Um, and so, and it was interesting because um, I was studying this and I was originally studying just one site, um, a community center. And then I had to take over the CPC project from someone else who um, I think got a fellowship somewhere and she grew up um, agnostic and she like, we were talking, it was clear. She's like, oh, wow, you, like, I, I just, I knew more about, like, there are certain things we were reading about. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what that means. And 
So she was like, oh, wow, yeah, this was, I'm glad I'm passing this to you because you seem to understand <laughs> this. Um, and I think was, I was a little bit less disturbed by things than she was, which again, you know, I guess I, and, and I try to, I, it's good too also to um, hear different people's perspective because I mean, these things are normalized when you're growing up. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned just from getting to know folks yeah. on Twitter and from talking about this, just so many things you normalize and you're around other people are like, oh, so you didn't have to speak in tongues in your, in your Sunday school? Oh. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like, the, just, yeah, so <laughs> so many things um, that you, you just don't think about. And then you're like, oh, you didn't grow up scared that the rapture was going to come and, like, everyone was going to disappear? Like, no? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just me <laughs> so yeah I think um, I think that was yeah I think that was the kind of the the biggest thing and it's I actually have thought about going back to grad school uh, for a PhD studying American Christianity um, I, I've talked myself out of it thankfully um, but mm. I have been looking at um, lately um, kind of how they how to use that expertise because um, there are there there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of academics studying it. Um, there are not, there are fewer that grew up in within in a religious background. There's even fewer that are like me who grew up in that in a specific you know conservative background. And so it's almost kind of I don't want to say we're unicorns, but I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's things, there's perspective we can have. And I, and I mean, it's similar to, you know, like what a lot of ex-evangelicals on Twitter, you know, what oh, you all yeah. been saying. And I, and I know a lot have been like um, pushing back with the media as well um, and writing about evangelicals saying, yeah, um, whoever wrote this article doesn't know anything about them and you should get one of us, you know. Um, yeah. So. Um, right. I just like yeah. I think oh yeah. so for example um was that there was a photo last year of the president I hate calling him that but uh a forty five in the in the Oval Office and the guys laying hands on him the pastors and I remember like there was a few times I'd explain that to folks like what that meant because like why are the hands on him mm-hmm. <laughs> and but you know like you know just things like that. Um, and also, I think, and and particularly as a black ex-evangelical too, um, and there's a few of us. Like I, I also, there's been a lot of folks talking about race and the racism of um, the Christian right, and you know, there's been a lot of white, there's been white ex-evangelicals talking about, yes, no, we're not, no, we're not surprised that all these people voted for Trump and his racism, you know, when you know, like really just there's only a certain sector of people who are shocked. Um, and, you know, going further, like, I really want to talk more about kind of what that means and like, you know, the various dog whistles that continue to come out when we look at Trump. I mean, just blatantly, Obama went, was a member right. of a church. Yeah. He was a member. I've been to that church actually. Um, a long time ago, before he was he was Obama, like before he really 
um, was well known. But I've been to like he he, he was a member of a church. Um, everyone remembers that because his pastor got into got him into some trouble by saying some controversial things. He sang a gospel mm-hmm. song, you know, like he quoted scripture all the time. He talked about his own yeah. faith all the time. Um, and the the people that are just fixing their mouths to say, oh, you know, well, within Trump, we have a real Christian. And, you know, Tr- Trump can't, mem- he can't correctly name a book of the Bible. Um, he's not, a, I mean, and there's nothing, I mean, like, and it's not a, I'm not saying that it's a requirement to be Christian and be president. I'm saying it's, it's almost laughable the way they're, they're really trying to paint. No, Obama wasn't Christian, but Trump, no, uh, like, like he he can't oh, yeah. he can't name a book of the Bible. Um, he, yeah, I mean, there's just a laundry list <laughs> right. of things. Um, like if you, yeah, like and, and, and it's amazing to me. Like it's it's truly amazing to me. Like to watch people bend over backwards with the dog whistles um, and not make it about we you know we didn't want a black president. Um, we didn't. Yeah, you know, he we we didn't want him there, and um, now we have a guy that espouses our racist beliefs, but we're trying to twist it and say, oh no, because he's Christian. No, um, everyone see, you know, a lot of us see through it, and um, I've been trying to figure out ways to like kind of articulate that more, um, and um, yeah, and just you know, they, I mean, they're just kind of showing, telling on themselves every day with the the situation with the border, mm-hmm. um, where you're seeing people shrug and say, "Well, you know, um, the you know the kids, you know, they're they're fine. They're in, you know, it's almost like they're in, in camp, like you know, like they're just like they're making excuses um, for really de- you know deplorable. Sorry, I use that word, but deplorable actions. Right, it's an apt word. Yeah. Yeah, it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually today for fun, for funsies, I was reading um I don't know if you remember uh, the folks on the family um they wrote this there's this letter that came out it was the month before the 2008 election when I think evangelicals had an oh shit moment like Obama might win and some of ours might help him get elected. And so mm-hmm. someone wrote a letter supposedly from the future um, to Christians saying, this is what happens if you elect Obama. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So, Cause I haven't stopped thinking about that letter since then. Like I, right. like uh, once every other month I'm like, yeah, they hope that happen. But um, yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about like uh, writing something about that, but, it's kind of, it's really fascinating. Um, and again, like, you know, with the dog whistles and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, basically, I mean, they keep using words like liberal and stuff like that, but I mean, it's basically, you know, liberalism and children cry and the streets are filled with blood and all that, uh, kind of stuff. Um, they were really like, they're, they're really terrified, um, of this, I think the way I would describe a lot of, especially older conservative Christians, they've they've created kind of this utopian white world, um, 
that never really existed, but does in their mind. Um, you know, yeah. they, they've created this utopian world and now it's falling apart. Um, you can't get away from brown people anymore. You used to be able to. That's why we had suburbs and white flight. Um, suburbs were created because they were trying to get away from black people. Um, but now, you know, refugee resettlement, you got, you know, and in immigration, you have brown folks in little parts of Nebraska. Um, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can't get away from it. So you can't ignore um, sexual orientation anymore. Um, churches I was a part of, um, like either talked about it as a sin or just ignored it completely like it didn't exist and you can't anymore. Um, and so, right. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're really, really scared that the world, the world is changing and that they don't recognize it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it totally, I totally understand why they would embrace someone like Trump. Um, I think deep down they, they know it's temporary. I think ultimately they know they're losing the culture wars or whatever, but um, yeah, I think that's, I think, I think that's kind of the, at the heart of a lot of this, you know, it's this um, same as, you know, back in the sixties when they were white citizens councils, um, you know, that were formed to keep black people out of neighborhoods and, you know, it's kind of, it was the same mentality, like, oh no, like our world is changing and we need to cling to these beliefs. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you know, that, that you're engaging with these things and, and, and doing things that, are, you know, are, are letting people understand the value of, of your experience and your expertise uh, in, in these areas, because it's, it is absolutely essential to understand the dynamics of this and how it affects the marginalized communities in our country. Um, and (laughs) just throughout the world, because evangelicalism (laughs) has ripple effects. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm very, very glad that, that you're, you know, you're investing in, in this sort of, uh, stuff because because the world needs it <laughs> to be very very honest <laughs> it yeah it it does and i um you know and also like and again like and that's why i'm glad I, i'm i'm really i feel grateful now depending on the day there's some every now and then i'm kind of like oh i wish i had a normal childhood <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> um yeah. you know but like I, I am grateful often that I have those experiences because um, for one thing, I know how to argue, um, taught me how to argue with different people, um, uh, you know, taught me to like see things from different perspectives. Um, and I think particularly, you know, again, the particularly with the black church tradition, you know, um, I think what, I think what kind of fascinates me about, sort of the other side of that is, um, you know, Christianity, like when my ancestors were enslaved, Christianity was forced upon them. Um, and you know, like there was this notion of, you know, the African quote savages they were bringing and, um, you know, helping them become Christians and saving their souls. And, um, 
it really, and it amazes me and um, fills me with a sense of pride because, you know, my ancestors took it around and used it against them. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. you know, they couldn't, like, enslaved people couldn't gather together in groups because, you know, they could get ideas. Um, so they had church services. Um, so on the surface, it's like, oh, they're having church service. But it's like, yeah, we are, but we're also plotting. Um, they used uh, spirituals that on the surface sound just regular gospel songs, but also were basically talking about running away. Um, like we took something, you know, placed upon us and used it um, as a tool, liber- as a tool liberation. Um, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and we've been doing that, you know, like, and that was, you know, through the civil rights movement, like the church was still kind of, a central place where, um, where, you know, people gathered, um, and, you know, and organized. And even now, um, you know, churches are, that are involved in Black Lives Matter, um, and are at the center of this. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like it's, I think, and I think that's interesting because, um, on the one hand, you know, there's the white, uh, you know, conservative movement that was, you know, opposed, but then I also got to see the tradition where um, that was used as part of liberation. So I think, I feel grateful that I um, can understand both of those. Um, yeah. And how they played out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for, for talking about all of this with me. Um, where can people find find you just uh, online or elsewhere uh, to find more of your work or follow you online wherever you might want to point people uh sure uh let's see you i can follow me on twitter uh see lola go um and then my uh my website is no shame movement.com um and no shame move um no shame and then mov um twitter handle um I am actually in the process of uh, putting together um, some workshops and uh, speaking engagements um, around the stuff we talked about, um, about evangelicalism, um, about purity culture, um, and about intersection of race. So if folks are interested in having me speak to their group or lead them in a workshop, um, I would say... um, yeah, just at me on Twitter or email me at noshamemove at gmail.com. Um, and I'll, and there's a, um, I can put the link up. Um, I think there's a link on my Twitter page. So, but yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Mm-hmm.